Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back from the weekend, everybody. Well, not quite everybody. As Vice President and Vapid Zilch in Heels, Kamala Harris is taking a week off from her grueling schedule of nothing for a nice Hawaiian vacation. Let's check in and see how she's doing. That's, wow, that's amazing footage. How did TMZ do it? Yes, thank you TMZ for supplying a lone one second video looped enough times to justify a news story. I was very happy to see the shorts my mom wore in 1985 are making a comeback. That was great to see. I will leave it to others to make hiking jokes. I mean, yes, it's a great campaign slogan for 2024. Biden-Harris 2024, go take a hike. It will work. But can I ask, seriously, what is she taking a vacation from? Like, I don't want to get all philosophical on you, but when you don't do anything, is it possible to take a vacation? This is a woman who has spent the last 18 months supposedly fixing the border. How's that going for you? Maybe she should stay in Hawaii, where it's a lot easier to manage migration. Though I will say she'd probably screw that up, too. We'd suddenly have caravans of Central American surfers showing up on shore. And if you've ever visited veepthoughts.com, mm-hmm, you're going to love it. You're going to know her de- defining characteristic as well. Now, you might not know this, but the Hawaiian language only has 12 letters. However, it is still far more capable of coherent English words than Kamala Harris. Stu does America. Go to VeepThoughts.com and check out all of Kamala Harris's uh, complete nonsense. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is where you can subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code Stu to save 10 bucks. If you're watching the video on YouTube right now, what are you doing? you got to click like or drop a comment below. An algorithmic engagement comment, which would be just absolutely fa- fabulous. We'd appreciate it. Jason Buttrell is going to be here today to break down the shocking bombing of Alexander Dugan's daughter. We'll tell you that whole story coming up. Anthony Fauci claims to be stepping down, but honestly... I'll believe it when I see it. This is never going to end, right? We know it's not going to end. But we start by doing the cloud. Yes, the cloud. You know that fancy thing? Not the ones in the skies. Not the ones raining down on Texas right now and flooding everything. Not the ones influenced by evil global warming. I'm talking about the cloud. The cloud where all of your data lives. And it's an interesting time to be alive because we First of all, just gave all of our time and freedom up to our devices. We're like, ah, let's not really talk about this. Let's just be on these things for like eight hours a day and see how it goes. How is society going to change? Let's find out. And then we were thinking, you know, if we're going to take all of our pictures and live every life through our phones, why not give all of that to the cloud and let it live somewhere not on our device that someone can hack into or otherwise abuse? Let's see how that works out. And so far, it's going great. I think you can understand. There's a story in the New York Times today that gives uh, an extreme example of a road we may all be considering very, very soon. It's a bit of a dark road, 
but it is one that you should really think about now before it's too late. You don't want to be like this guy. Okay, this is a story of a guy in San Francisco. Let me tell you what happened. This is according to The New York Times. It was a Friday night, February 2021. His wife called an advice nurse at their health care provider to schedule an emergency consultation for the next morning by video because it was Saturday and there was a pandemic going on. The nurse said to send photos to the doctor so they could review them in advance. Seems like a normal thing. Well, the, the details of the photos are, are a bit important. You see, this is a dad. He's a stay-at-home dad. And he has a, a son, and his son had, let's say, a rash in a sensitive place. Now, if you're a parent, you've probably dealt with such things before. And in normal circumstances, you'd bring them to maybe the urgent care, or you might bring them to the doctor. Well, this is February 2021 in California, mind you. So, like, we are in full-fledged lockdown. <laughs> like, this is, there's not, I mean, Texas, we were going out to, like, the movies, uh, and we were eating indoors. In California, you know, this is like full lockdown time. So no one's doing much of anything for any reason. So they schedule an understandable telehealth appointment. This is, you know, hopefully not a big deal. The nurse suggests, hey, send us some photos of the area. You know, I know you're taking pictures down there, but like I'm a doctor. Trust me. A lot of people say that and don't mean it. Uh, If you meet someone on the street um, on the corner and they say, I'm a doctor, trust me, don't believe them. But this was an actual doctor. And so they asked for these uh, photos to come in. Well, how did this work out? With help from the photos, the doctor diagnosed the issue and prescribed antibiotics, which quickly cleared it up. Oh, okay, perfect. But the episode left Mark with a much larger problem. Uh Uh-oh. One that would cost him more than a decade of contacts, emails, and photos, and make him a target of a police investigation. Mark, who asked to be identified only by his first name for fear of potential reputational harm, had been caught in an algorithmic net designed to snare people exchanging child sexual abuse material. Now, he had a Gmail account. All of his stuff was uh, located with Google. And what happened was when he took the photo, yes, he sent it to uh, to his doctor, but it also got uploaded to the cloud. Now, if you happen to be, uh, you know, a person who's living in the, in the century, you probably have some photo backup service that goes through the cloud. Most people have it. If you have an iPhone, it just kind of does it automatically. Like I know when a picture's taken on my iPhone, later on it'll be on my uh, photo app on, on my Mac, and that's going through the cloud, and that's how I'm getting it there. Um, well, Google said, holy crap, this guy's sending out child porn. Now, Somewhat understandable, right? It's a close-up of a kid's area, and why else would you be sending that? I can understand the worst thoughts going through your mind, but of course there's an explanation to this. That didn't stop Google from acting. Two days after taking photos of his son, Mark's phone made a blooping notification noise. His account had been disabled for harmful content that was, quote, a severe violation of Google's policies and might be illegal. Uh Uh-oh. At first, he thought... What the heck's going on? Then he said, oh, okay, crap, it's those pictures. They probably think it's child porn. While all this is going on, he discovered the domino effect of Google's rejection. Not only did he lose emails, contact information for friends and former colleagues, and documentation of his son's first years of life, he also lost his Google Fi account, meaning he had to get a new phone number with another carrier. Without access to his old phone number and email address, he couldn't get the security codes he needed to sign into the other internet accounts, locking him out of much of his digital life. 
Now, Google basically scanned all his photos. If you have a Google phone, that's what they're doing. I know Apple has something else, uh, something similar that they do, scanning for explicit content and trying to block the worst of the worst. Now, there's some sense to this, of course. We all understand this. We all want child porn to go away. But this got a little bit out of control. Uh, child advocates say the company's cooperation is essential to combat the rampant online spread of sexual abuse imagery. But it can entail appearing into private archives, such as digital photo albums, an intrusion users may not expect that has cast innocent behavior in a sinister light in at least two cases. Now, look, we can all kind of look at the situation like this and say, OK, yes, this is bad. This this poor dad got kind of caught up in this ridiculous uh, story. It was a mistake. But it's an understandable one, right? We're trying to stop child porn. They they see a picture like that. They think that's what they're looking at. I, kind of an understandable initial mistake, right? So, obviously, he appealed. How did that go? He filled out a form requesting a, a review of Google's decision explaining his son's infection. At the same time, he discovered the domino effect of Google's rejection. He lost all that stuff. All that stuff got locked out of his digital life. Now, Google's response after this, because they rejected his uh, appeal. They rejected it. They said, no, we don't, we don't believe you, basically. Now, he's got the doctor he knows about uh, so far. In the statement, Google said child sexual abuse material is abhorrent, and we're committed to preventing the spread of it on our platforms. A few days after Mark filed the appeal, Google responded that it would not reinstate the account with no further explanation. How many times have we heard this? Now, I think people would get would be a little bit more open to these quote-unquote mistakes if reasons were given. It's constantly these boilerplate responses that say, hey, this, it could be any one of these 12 reasons, and they never tell you why or specifically what you did wrong. Now, uh, that's not all, because you'd think this is already a frustrating situation for this poor dad who, by all accounts, seemed to do nothing wrong. It gets much, much worse. In December 2021, Mark received a manila envelope in the mail from the San Francisco Police Department. It contained a letter informing him that he had been investigated, as well as copies of the search warrants served on Google and his Internet service provider. An investigator whose contact information was provided had asked for everything in Mark's Google account. His Internet searches, his location history, his messages and any document photo and video he had stored with the company. Think about all the stuff you're putting in the cloud. Financial details, private messages, uh, things that maybe you don't want to know, people to know that you're searching for. I don't know what weird stuff you're doing at home. I mean, I just assume you watch this show, you got to be kind of screwed up in some way. Whatever you're doing, they've got access to it, right? That's a problem. Uh, Google's perspective, I guess, is pretty simple. From Google's perspective, it's easier to just deny these people from the use of their services, she speculated. This is one of the experts. Otherwise, the company would have to resolve more difficult questions about what's appropriate behavior with kids and then what's appropriate to photograph or not. So where does all of this stand now? Mark still has hope he can get his information back. The San Francisco police have the contents of his Google account preserved on a thumb drive. Mark now is trying to get a copy. A police spokesman said the department is eager to help him. This is why this is so screwed up. It seems to be so very clear, yet this guy still has his life digitally destroyed. Look, the truth is, it's probably pretty unlikely you're going to take similar types of photos. But that's just a small part of the story. 
If you're using these cloud services, you are putting your entire digital life in the hands of these companies. Do you like these companies? Do they typically treat you well? And increasingly, you're putting your entire actual life with these companies. What is more valuable to a parent than photos and videos of the formative years of their child's lives? And Google isn't letting a father access them? What about his documents, his business contacts, his uh, contracts, his financial statements? Who knows what the heck he had uploaded there, and now it's all gone. And while you can kind of understand how this initially happened, obviously we want to stop child porn, but even after the doctor, the police, an expert from the University of North Carolina who's mentioned in the article, and the New York freaking Times calling Google, they all came along to confirm that this was not a crime, and still, Google will not give this guy back his data. How is this possible? We spend a lot of time complaining about the suspension of Twitter accounts and shadow bans on Facebook, but imagine those policies that we all hate here on the right spread to everything you do in your personal accounts, your banking accounts, your personal email accounts, everything. Now, think about how this can be weaponized not against something horrible like child porn, but for something that many on the left think is much, much worse, your support of the Constitution, your opposition to ESG standards, your supporting some candidate that the media says is unacceptable. Who knows what it could be? Get ready to be a living version of the Canadian truckers or worse. This is one of the reasons why I'm so emphatically a supporter of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies. There is a race going on here between a path to freedom and the left trying to trap you in their systems. And frankly, right now, we're losing that battle. Think about what you store in the cloud. It's hard to completely avoid it, but I would limit it to things you wouldn't mind losing. And make sure you back stuff up on local drives that aren't constantly connected to the Internet. If things shake out of control, I can assure you the line is not going to be questionable photos. The line is going to move a lot into politics and the environment and pronouns and CRT and who knows what else. And when that line moves, you best be prepared because I I guarantee you, you're going to be on the wrong side of it. Grip6 has fashionable and customizable belts. They've got great wallets. They've got awesome socks. They've got utilitarian things that you need to get through life. And Grip6 is a small company in Utah. They sell to the United States. They sell all over the world, but they source everything right here in America. Why? They actually like the country, unlike a lot of the brands they're probably dealing with. Their belts are minimalist. They're not jutting out of your shirt. They're also customizable. You can get um, get them made out of uh, materials that don't set off all the alarms at the airport. It's really, really a cool thing. The same thing with the wallets. And uh, the socks will keep your feet very, very warm. And I will say, as a person who does a show with Glenn Beck, when the studio is like 15 degrees, that comes in handy. Go to grip6.com slash stew and use the code stew to save 15%. Grip, the number six dot Get 15% off today if you go to grip6.com slash stew. The code is stew. I want to bring in Jason Buttrell. He's the uh, head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck here at Blaze Media. Jason, how's it going? Good, good. You uh, have worked on many, many shows uh, with Glenn, uh, doing research, writing, all the background stuff on a fellow named Alexander Dukin. And it's interesting going... (laughs) 
we're going to get to the news from this weekend here in a second. But like going through this, all of a sudden, Alexander Dugan is everywhere. Everyone's talking about him. I don't think anyone outside of our audience has any idea who this guy is. So let's go back to the beginning here. If you don't know who Alexander Dugan is, who is he? Which is wild, too, because I think we were we were probably one of the first ones to even talk about him. Oh, it has to be. I, I don't the only, I don't hear about him anywhere else. There's been a couple of mainstream articles about him over to, over the years as he, his relation to um, Putin and the American right a little bit, trying to draw that parallel. Uh, but really, I don't think the average person has any idea who this guy is. No, and I think this was back in 2014. And one of the reasons why we were pointing them out is because anytime someone is you know, listed as, or is described as Putin's brain, hmm. we should probably read into some of the things that he's talking about. And I remember looking at, you know, yeah, he was reaching out to the American, what, you know, what they call the far right. Um, which is really basically just the far left. Um, yeah. But he was reaching out to those people. And they're like, wow, what's this Russian? Why does he care? Um, but he was also doing this all over Europe. He was reaching out to the identitarians, you know, the people that, you know, that believe you should split apart and you know, just be with your own race, people like that. Mm-hmm. It was just odd. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was really big on stoking nationalism. Mm-hmm. Um, not only nationalism within Russia, but um, you know, you know, if you're French, be proud that you're French and don't, you know, you know, mix with these other, you know, if you're German, same thing, all that. And really what he was trying to do was he was trying to fracture um, alliance structures. He, he did not, you know, he was trying to break apart the EU. He was all about breaking apart the EU. He wanted to break apart NATO, um, things like that. But at the same time, he was advocating for the expansion of, a Russia, of the Russian empire. And the, he would, you know, a lot of times would use he's not only just like a geopolitics expert, but he's also like a weird, like, I don't know, like philosophical guru or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. Rasputin is very, very, you know, close to describing this guy because, you know, he's also very weirdly spiritual. Yeah. Um, in, in, in some odd ways. And this is sort of the reason why he's uh, a somewhat complicated character. As you point out, like, he wants to break up the EU. Well, I don't like the EU. Yeah. You know, um, he wants to uh, he wants to expand Russia. Well, I don't want Russia to be expanded. Like mm-hmm. he reaches out. He talks a lot about sort of traditional um, uh, family values, uh, the, the you know, the the nuclear family and faith values. But like it, it's in a way that has ulterior motives. Yeah. And the end of this road is not something that the typical conservative would like. Right. And that's. That, that, that's a weird phenomenon, especially, I think, on the right. And it's really easy for certain people that I think that we would probably agree with. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, it, I won't say that he, that, I'm just going to throw out an example, but let's say, like, let's say all of a sudden Tucker Carlson t- was talking about very similar things, like mm-hmm. the nuclear family, everything you just reached out right. to, um, not being beholden to large, you know, like, uh, you know, transnational sure. things like the EU or, or whatever that he would talk about, and then he would get a lot of people that would agree with him. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, I believe in strong Christian values. I believe in this. I think probably Steve Bannon would, would probably sound almost exactly the same. Mm-hmm. If you got the two of them in the room, they'd both be saying the same things. But exactly what you just said, it's all about motive and what they're actually trying to do. And for them, it was, it was, it was hard-line geopolitics, but using an ultra-nationalist message. And that's what appealed to Putin. Um, he wrote a book, uh, Dugan did, I think back in the nineties, I think it's called the foundations of geopolitics or something like that. It's been 2014 since I've looked at this in in this depth. Um, but it became required reading for anyone that was going into the Russian foreign policy structure, like their state department and also for their generals. It was required reading. 
So anyone, and of course, that, and starting from the 90s on, that was uh, Putin's party. So it's the top brass, Putin included, that are saying, hey, listen to this guy. This is the direction we're going in. So setting up you know, what happened in the, in, in the news recently with him, this is the importance of this guy. He really is. His teachings, his philosophy, his geopolitics were the basis for what Russia was trying to get done. Yeah, he wrote a bo- another book called The Fourth Political Theory. Yep. Uh, he's talked outwardly about the United States being destroyed. He, he wants a lot of bad things for the United States. But he also talks about traditional values, which sometimes appeals to those on the right. And, you know, he's outward about his approaches to the American right. He wanted to sort of place this virus within the computer of the American right um, to, to kind of keep it in that in that analogy. So fast forward to today, he's one of the biggest advocates for the war in Ukraine. Uh, he wants this to happen. He wants it to be more aggressive, more brutal than it's been. Um, and then he is at an event speaking about this this, this weekend with his daughter. Tell us what happened. So both of them were attending an event uh, southwest of Moscow. And at the end of the event, they were going to get in his car. It was his car, both getting into his car. But at the last minute, he decided to go off with somebody else. And his daughter went on instead of him. She drove down a couple ways, uh, you know, a, a couple of miles. And an IED kicked off within the car, exploded, an intentional explosion. Mm. So obviously meant for either Dugan himself or to take out both of them at the same time. Right, because she's a bit of a commentator, too. Yeah. Not as well-known, but, you know, she's the d- daughter of one of the most famous people in Russia, so she yeah. has some influence. And s- same ideals that her father has. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that uh, he's been a big advocate of the Ukraine war. I would say he, he's, one of, he's probably the ideological uh, inventor of going mm-hmm. in and taking Ukraine. So he was one of the first people that coined the, t- the term Novorossiya, which translates into New Russia. New Russia is basically old Russia, which is the Russian Empire, (laughs) Um, Belarus, Ukraine, all of that included into the, you know, Russian Empire. And they even say Russian Empire in a lot of things. It's very, you know, back to the old days of the czars thing. And this is one of the things that uh, Putin has talked about outwardly, that the, the dissolution of the Soviet Union was the greatest political mistake of the past century. He wants to put the band back together in some ways, not even to the Soviet Union, but the, the pre-Soviet Union Pre-Soviet. Russian Empire. That's right. Um, so, uh, you know, this is a huge story, right? I mean, the, the, the daughter of the one of the most influential political uh, minds in the country of Russia is dead. There's video of the, immediately afterward where Dugan is standing there watching a burning car with his daughter inside. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, so now it's, of course, a question of who did it. Now, Right off the bat, it seems like everybody's blaming Ukraine. Ukraine has targeted this guy. This is the, the, the intellectual head of this war, as you mentioned. Of course, he's going to be a target of Ukraine. Do you find that to be plausible? I, not to me, not at all. Uh, Ukraine, so they have, they have no real reason to do this. So let's just, let's just try to get into their mind for just a second. Let's say they do want to do this, or they did want to, and or let's just say they did. What do they gain off of this? They gain nothing that hinders the war. They gain nothing that stops it in any way, slows it down. There's nothing to be gained here except for antagonizing Russia and giving them the excuse to go even harder. Mm -hmm. That's all you gain here. And the Ukrainians are not stupid. 
Um, right now, the Ukrainians, uh, you know, their, their intelligence services are, should be concentrated on two things. And, and I think they are concentrated on these two things, primarily. And that's fighting the war, winning the war, and looking for Russian spies. That's the only thing they should be looking at. Mm -hmm. Combat intelligence and counterintelligence. Mm -hmm. Not planning these wild, very risky assassination operations on ideological targets. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly who I'm sure Russia is going to blame. They're probably going to say that it was, you know, Ukraine intelligence, probably with the assistance of CIA. I mean, you can just bank it. That's probably the, what the, the conclusion they're going to come to. Yeah, and I just don't buy that for a second. To me, this looks like an internal power, str power struggle. That's what it looks like to me. Now, if you are not one of the ultranationalists, so the ultranationalists are basically Putin his wing along with Dugan and his followers. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are looking for new Russia, which is old Russia. Um, that's what they want. Now there's another wing that says, this is a disaster. Our intelligence, FSB, has royally screwed this up. Mm -hmm. The military's not doing a good job. We're incurring tons of casualties. We're a pariah in the world, and we're economically in shambles right now with no you know, future if it continues along these lines. That's what they're seeing. Now what's the easiest way to get out of that? Well, it's to blame Putin, for one, and then it's to cause a rift between the, the ultra-nationalists and the anti-nationalists. Now, that's what I think this is. And if you know the, you know, the Russian intelligence services, you have the SVR, which they're, the, they're kind of like the CIA, they're the foreign intelligence. They go into other countries and have, you know, like, like the, they show the Americans, you mm -hmm. know, like they yeah. have agents like mm -hmm. that. Then you have the FSB, which is basically like the KGB. They're, they're kind of a conglomeration of the FBI and kind of the CIA together. Mm -hmm. So they'll operate in the country, but a little bit without the country in the near area. And then you have the GRU, which is their military intelligence. GRU and FSB are heavily competitive right now. You remember the GRU, they're the ones that got caught very embarrassingly using Novichok over in, uh, over in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. They tried to assassinate someone in the UK using an illegal nerve agent. Kind of embarrassing that mm -hmm. they got caught with yeah, that. Yeah. That's the GRU. Mm -hmm. Now, the FSB was recently, back in 2014, during the original Ukraine stuff, they royally screwed up Ukraine. The words were that Putin was furious and fired the FSB from Ukraine. But then GRU screwed up when they tried to, <laughs> when they tried to take his leg up with this whole assassination thing. So the FSB was given back to Ukraine. Now, Ukraine, the, preparing for the invasion and ensuring the transition would go now smoothly, they obviously royally screwed that one up too now. So now you have the GRU and the FSB at each other's throats. That's more plausible to me, knowing how they operate, what's going on now. Now, it's either the FSB and an element within the FSB that's you know, hitting back at Putin's inner circle, or members of the GRU. Who knows, it's such a mess over there. But I see something along the lines of that more than anything else. Yeah, because that, that was kind of the, the hope almost of some people uh, here in America that this would go with it going so badly. Someone would be there to take out the leadership, remove them somehow, whether it was an assassination or uh, just some political removal, upheaval in Russia. This is pretty close to Putin, not obviously not Putin, but it was somewhat, a somewhat close advisor of him. Um, is there any I mean, is this a real movement or is this just one billionaire with, a, with, with some resources throwing some money around against one of his political enemies? I would think this is a real movement. Uh, I, I, I don't know how strong it is mm -hmm. right now, but I do think it's a movement. And you look at Russia's history. This is how things are done. They do like a big expansion. 
then from the inside, they destroy themselves. Every single time. Mm. They do something inside, destroy themselves. Even during the Soviet Union era, when they weren't destroying themselves, they were still taking out leaders that they didn't agree with or didn't like the direction they were going into. You would just have like a Khrushchev or someone go off you know, on vacation, then they just wouldn't come back. Uh, that's just how it works, really, in Russia. And I think that right now, this is what Putin's looking at. I think that everyone knows... This is just in my opinion. I think that they all know that this is something within Russia. This, you know, this is Russian mm-hmm. on Russian crime. But they're all going to blame Ukraine with our assistance. They're all just going to do that. But at the same time, Putin knows that he has to look behind his back. He's got someone over his shoulder. He's got another faction that's getting more. Broad. There's always other factions. But now they feel that they you know, have the, the capital to go forward with this. This was a warning is what this was. Mm. Directly, I mean, if, if you want to t- take a, a shot at Putin's inner circle, but you want to go for someone, you know, kind of on the fringes, that's Dugan. You know, that's, that's the one that's been called his brain. That's the one that, you know, set the ideological framework to go into Ukraine. Mm. So now they're saying, look, this is, you know, obviously a direction that is, is catastrophic for us. It's not going well for us. We're going to take out your ideological leader and see where it goes from there. Mm. Um, last one here, about a, got about a minute. Um, anything to the sort of fringy theory that this is some, somebody who is pro-war uh, with Ukraine, someone related or close to Dugan, some people even suggesting Dugan himself since he got out of the car the last second, to uh, start up uh, a, a, a more aggressive uh, stance from Russia in this war. Hey, they're assassinating people on our own territory. Um, the, right immediately after this, the, the, I think it was this, their version of the Secretary of Defense said, hit their se- centers of decision making. They, they want they think that this whole we're taking a little bit of eastern Ukraine thing is wussing out. Go after Kiev, hit them while they're having their meetings, go after Zelensky. This is a this is proof that we should do that. Anything to that, you think? I mean, I, I, I think anything is possible, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it's consider, you know, when it comes to Russia. Uh, I think that. So what would that get them? That that would. That could lead them to say, "Okay, we're doing a formal declaration of war, Mm -hmm. which then enables Putin to call up the entire military to mobilize and go into Ukraine. I see that as unlikely because that doesn't that won't really change the reality on the ground for them. There's a report out last or I think this weekend, actually, that showed how dire of a situation they have with their smart weapons. They're running out of them Mm. and really they don't have the factory capacity to ramp up production of smart weapons, smart bombs, stuff like that. Um, basically, they're looking at maybe five uh, cruise missiles that they can manufacture a month. That's nothing in a war. Like, right. they, 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 that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there's, so if they wanted to mobilize and, and you know, accelerate the war, they're very limited in what they can do. Western weapons are still coming in. They're embarrassing them in a country they thought they were going to take within 48 hours. Mm. They thought they were going to take, it was 48 to 72 hours, they thought they were going to have Ukraine with a Russian puppet that the FSB was going to control. They thought it was going to be done by now. Now they're looking at six months of war, a war that they kind of appear to be losing. Why would you accelerate your demise? Mm. Accelerate the invasion, pretty much accelerate how embarrassing you look and the yeah. destruction of your own military. I yeah. just don't see that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, ideologues tend to take bad risks at times, but it's still, it's a, it's a bit of a reach. It's an interesting theory, but I don't know if there's much to it. Jason Buttrell, he's a head writer and researcher for uh, Glenn Beck. We've been talking about this story for a while. 
because it's one of those things that could spin out of control and really make a difference in not only the people over there's lives, but the people here, uh, too. Uh, this is one of those things, especially with this leadership. They could easily screw this thing up and wind up really affecting everything even more than it is already. Jason, thanks for coming on the program. Go Cowboys. <laughs> BlazeTV.com slash stew, the promo code being stew, is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Now, when you do so, of course, you'll get access to this incredible program uh, that you're watching right now. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, click like, of course. But if you want to be a member of Blaze TV and join uh, our group, we would really appreciate that because, honestly, there's not a lot of places out there that are going to give you the type of commentary and news that you get here. And we think it's really important. So if you agree, go to BlazeTV.com slash stew. Use the promo code Stu to save yourself 10 bucks. Now, one of the shows you'll get access to while you do such a wonderful thing is the news and why it matters. And if you were watching the news and why it matters before this, and honestly, why wouldn't you be? It's an incredible program. Sometimes I'm even on it. Not today, though. Today, you may have noticed uh, Blaze TV's own Chad Prather. He was on it, and he was rocking a particular hooded sweatshirt. Look at that right there. Yes, Eagle Eyes, that is a genuine Stu Does America Power Hour Survivor hoodie, which, as I'm sure you know, Chad Prather has definitely earned, <laughs> I mean, just gallons of bodily fluids and hours of bleeped out swear words. Give him the right to proudly display his accomplishment. Of course, I don't know if you've done anything to be able to, to earn a sweatshirt like that. It's possible you were drinking by yourself at home watching Power Hour. We, of course, encourage that. It's a couple times a year. I mean, it's not the best practice in the world, but what's it going to take? A few years off your life? You know, they probably weren't the best years anyway. Uh, you can check it out at stewdoespowerhour.com and get your own. Now, you can have that. Yes, you can have one if you want to claim that you too have survived one of my many power hours, whether it's true or not. We live in a culture where it's almost constant lies, so you fit in perfectly well. You have my express permission, even if you haven't uh, had an entire power hour, uh, get one anyway. Uh, you can get yours and a ton of other great merch items at stewdoesmerch.com. And because I'm such a generous guy, or realistically approaching the road of an alcoholic, at least a couple days a year, you can use the code STU10 to get 10% off your entire order. I know, it's incredible. StuDoesMerch.com. The code is STU10. Get you 10% off anything you buy. Power our survivors and people who are faking it. Unite! Ah, it's the end of an era, a very, very long era. Anthony Fauci claims to be stepping down in December. Now, I don't believe this, of course, because I just can't imagine our lives without him. Seems like every single waking moment for multiple years, all we've had to talk to or talk about, excuse me, is uh, Anthony Fauci. And I'm honestly I'm so far beyond sick of it that I can't even describe it, but he claims he's leaving at the end of the year. Now, this, of course, would be right before the Republicans theoretically would take over if they happen to win elections. Tomorrow, by the way, we're, I'm planning on doing, at least unless there's some big breaking news or whatever, uh, planning on doing a, an election update where the Senate stands mainly, but also looking at some of the other races. So if you're into the politics thing, you want to see where this red wave stands. Mitch McConnell had some words last week saying, hey, I don't know how well this is going. 
We'll give you the straight scoop tomorrow on this program. Don't miss it. Uh, but Fauci's going to be gone. Now, I think, you know, there's going to be invest once the Republicans do take over, if they are to win, there will be tons of investigations involving him. So don't worry. He will be around in your life for much, 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 much longer. And of course, I would assume a week before he leaves office, he'll find a new pandemic and decide to stay. So that's coming along. And now another person who is uh, probably going to be in your life for a while, but not on CNN, is Brian Stelter. Now, Brian got booted. Uh, he had a show that was on the air for 30 years, and then he got a hold of it and hosted it for a few years, and now tis gone. Uh, sadly, Reliable Sources is going away. They're not replacing him. They're keeping the newsletter uh, together, uh, but not the uh, show with Brian Stelter. Here's a bit of the monologue from Brian as he signed off. So much of the media ecosystem in 2022 is garbage, but so much of it is spectacular. The hard part, sorting out the treasure from the trash. These are thorny, complicated things. I know I didn't, never had all the answers. I didn't even always have all the questions. But it was the gift of a lifetime to get to confront these issues on international television with the backing of CNN. Here's what I do know. I know it's not partisan to stand up for decency and democracy and dialogue. It's not partisan to stand up to demagogues. It's required. It's patriotic. We must make sure we don't give platforms to those who are lying to our faces. Uh, you know, I don't know where he's going to go after this. We talked about it a little bit last week when it happened with Robbie. You know, I don't know what his next move is, uh, but he will not be doing that show anymore. Now, you didn't watch that show anyway. You probably only saw clips of it on, on, uh, on Twitter or on Facebook where he would say crazy liberal things. I don't know what's going to happen with Brian. I, I, you know, I think there is a role for that type of show. Like, it would be nice to have a show that, you know, where people talked about that. We do that a lot here, right? I mean, we try to do it here. Obviously, I come from a particular perspective, but I try to break this stuff down. And you know, if you watch the show, occasionally I piss people off because, you know, I'll go after people on the right as well. That was pretty rare on the Brian Stelter experience uh, over the past couple of years. As I've mentioned before, you know, early in his career, he did some stuff that was, you know, I think really good journalism about the media. But it, it really, once Trump got in, he broke a lot of people. <laughs> he broke a lot of people. Uh, for example, let me give you another name on that list. Uh, Liz Cheney. <laughs> Cheney, I, you know, it's one thing to oppose Donald Trump. It's one thing to criticize Donald Trump. There's plenty to criticize. Seemingly everybody's got something that they want to criticize about Donald Trump. He's used to it. He can fight his own battles. But when it, you make it your life's work, when you make it that you're dedicated seemingly only to sinking a guy like Donald Trump, you weaken yourself. This is, I think, what happened at CNN with many, many people over there. And I think that also happened with Liz Cheney, who, you know, unlike, you know, an Adams Kinziger, has a pretty conservative voting record, was not the worst Republican in Congress uh, at all. But she got focused on this thing with Donald Trump. And, and look, it was a big event. I understand why people talked about it. But to make it your day in, day out, only thing you ever talk about. Now she's saying she's going to uh, campaign against fellow Republicans who, just, uh, who are on the wrong side of the election fraud narratives that she, uh, she believes. So she's going to go after Republicans. She said in some cases she's going to support Democrats. I mean, I don't know how this happens with these people. It's like, are there, are there any conservatives who just say, hey, you know, uh, I don't like this about Donald Trump, but I still like low taxes. I, I don't know where those people go. They seem to get disintegrated, uh, except for with very few exceptions, whenever uh, criticism of Donald Trump begins. Look, we criti criticize Donald Trump on this program many times, and we'll continue to do it because I'm not anybody's cheerleader. But I also still like low taxes, and I like the fact that he did a really good job with Israel. 
You know, I'm not going to lie to you about that stuff because uh, we're critical on some things. We'll be critical on some things. We'll support them on other things. That's that's how this is going to work, I guess, whether people like it or not. Uh, And of course, this has done nothing but help Donald Trump in the primary. I don't know what people could have. People could have possibly misread this if you were on the left and you wanted to stop Donald Trump. If you wanted to stop Donald Trump, the way to do it was not to launch a thinly veiled political attack through the FBI. (laughs) You know, people tend to react poorly to that. And of course, now uh, Donald Trump is uh, coalescing his support and it's now more concrete than ever. A new poll out Sunday shows Trump tightening his hold on Republicans. Several polls show him rising against Ron DeSantis, who had been surging in some states. Uh, Trump obviously excited about this. And I don't know how you could have read it any other way. This is what Trump has talked about more than in probably anything else is that he has been treated unfairly. It's obviously the center of what he believes. And so many of his supporters see it the same way. And uh, rightly so. He has been treated unfairly. Some of that stuff he's brought on himself. But he has been treated unlike any president in history uh, in an unfair way. I think that's that's fair to say. So when people see this in action, they're reminded of how much it pisses them off. And now they're back to uh, the Trump. Well, they're they're there. They're defending him. That's what people are going to do. It's a human instinct. And Donald Trump has a very loyal group of people that are going to do try to back him up when he is wronged. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they maybe they want this. Maybe they want to run against Donald Trump because they think it can beat him. Worked out really well in 2016, boys and girls. You might want to rethink that one. But who knows what they're trying to do? Whatever it is, you know, it's stupid. Now we are getting to the end of summer, uh, fall right around the corner. Why not get ready for the cooler months, the midterms? Ah, yes, with your limited edition socks from The Blaze. Yes, they're comfortable. They are fun to show off to your conservative friends. They are even more fun to show off to people you hate on the left because they're going to get pissed off when they see them. Uh, There's only one catch. Just like Joe Biden's grip on reality, these socks are available only for a limited time. And today is the last day. The very last day you can get them. You can kick leftism where it hurts with a foot wrapped in a Blaze sock. Yes, Blaze Media's conservative socks. You can get them today featuring Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, Glenn Beck, and so many more. BlazeSocks.com is the place to go. If you're a subscriber to the Blaze, you can get 20% off with the promo code BlazeSub. BlazeSub is the promo code. If you get 20% off, that's only available to Blaze TV subscribers. Don't even try it, okay? If you're not a subscriber, don't even try to save that 20%. How dare you? BlazeSocks.com. Use the code BlazeSub for 20% off if you're a Blaze TV subscriber. Once again, it's BlazeSocks.com. There are currently warehouses of thousands of Filipino children right now clicking like on liberal content on YouTube. It's true. It's happening every single day. So you need to fight back against that. Please click like if you happen to be watching this video on YouTube right now. Some comments are coming in, and that helps us spread the word as well. Hey, Stu, congrats on a happy one-year anniversary. Awesome. Yes, one one year since my car order. Thanks to this economy, the car has not come yet. It's built, but it's not here, I think. Who knows? Catherine writes, you've been knocking it out of the park park lately on the guests recently. Love, Ali Beth. Missing Dan Andros. Has to be written by Dan Andros. 
100% chance of that. The dream whatever Coke definitely tasted like dreams. Sad, unhappy, kind of scary night terrors that leave you sweating and wishing you had drank scope instead. I actually thought the Coke Dreamland was okay, but, uh, you know, it's not going to be a daily soda for me. Uh, Stu, if you decide to get your new car order uh, number tattooed on your butt cheek, you should do it live on your next Power Hour episode. It would be epic and would definitely increase your algorithmic engagement. I don't. I think we might lose some viewers on that one. I'm just, just speculating. By the way, there is a, uh, you know, my life is uh, car orders that don't don't show up. And new exciting uh, announcements like this. Burger King is going to be releasing a plant-based chicken sandwich with help from Impossible Foods. The Impossible Chicken Sandwich. I'm very excited about that. Only coming to Cincinnati right now. That's the only th- I know I'm the only person in the audience that's excited about that. And you might say, well, Stu, you're just excited every time they come up with some new fake meat you can eat. And that's usually true. But let me tell you this. Okay. Here's what happened. <clears throat> A Swedish company, Oomph, which is a terrible name for a food company, delivered a product which they say is plant-based but tastes just like human flesh. Based on extensive research, which seemingly means they've ate, eaten people. Uh, it's got all sorts of weird spices and mushrooms and all this junk. They say their aim was to convince meat eaters that plant-based food could replicate the taste of any meat. No one's asking for this. No one wants your cannibalism food. See you tomorrow.